All right, let's do a little, little test here. How many of you, okay, let's say you have to have, uh, I don't know, let's say you have to have brain surgery, all right? That's a pleasant thought, right? And you have to decide who is going to do that surgery. And I tell you, hey, listen, I've read all the medical books. I have not been to medical school. I've never operated on anybody, but I have all of the knowledge that I need to perform the surgery. I've never done it before, never even seen it done, but I've got all of the knowledge. I've read everything that's ever been written about brain surgery. Will you let me perform that surgery on you? If yes, yes, I even stayed in the Holiday Inn Express. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely not, right? There's no chance you're going to let me do that. All right, let's say that I or somebody else, I've read everything there is to know about fixing a transmission in your specific car. I've read all the books. I've watched the YouTube videos. I've, I've, I've never actually fixed one before. Don't even know what a transmission looks like except for watching the YouTube video. But I have all of the knowledge that I need, all that there is about fixing your transmission. Are you going to let me anywhere near your car? Some of you, if you're desperate, you might, right? <laughs> it's expensive to get the car fixed these days. <laughs> but chances are you're not going to let me touch your car. Why not? Because I've never actually done it. There's head knowledge, but then it only really becomes true wisdom, the wisdom to be able to take that knowledge and put it into action, that only happens when you actually do it. You've got to learn. You've got to apply the knowledge that you have to your life before you really know how to do whatever it is that you're doing. And that's under guidance from somebody that knows what they're doing, especially with something like brain surgery. You want somebody to, to be there, to be a student and have a teacher and to have hands-on experience, preferably on somebody besides you, right? <laughs> but that's wisdom. Knowledge is one thing, but wisdom is taking knowledge and using it, putting it into practice. That's the difference. And that's what we're talking about in our series today, in this installment uh, of, of Taking It to the Streets. That's the name of our series. It's, the, the, it's James. It's all about um, the gospel with shoes on, putting feet to our faith. You know, what Warren Wearsby says that knowledge enables us to take things apart, but wisdom enables us to put things together and relate God's truth to daily life. That's what we're talking about. Knowledge of God's truth, but then taking that knowledge and putting it into practice. All right, we're going to be in James chapter 3 today, verses 13 through 18. Does anybody memorize it? Anybody want to quote it for us? We're kind of, oh, we got somebody? All right, come on up. And I know I should know your name, but I'm terrible with names, so remind me your name. Caroline, thank you so much. Well, here you go. I'm going to give you this, speaking in the microphone. James 3, 13 through 18. Don't be nervous. I'm sorry, just I'm ignore, really nervous. Just ignore all people. these people. Hey, listen, they didn't know it, so they couldn't come up here. So don't, don't worry about that, okay? You're going to do great, all right? Whenever you're ready, Caroline. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged, will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble... 
in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, then he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, I'm sorry, I'm like, uh, <laughs> if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, then we bridle their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided very, very, by a very small rudder. So too, the, though the tongue is a small part, that's the CSB. What version are you quoting? They're guided by a very small rudder wherever go. the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a very small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Setting on fire the entire course of life. Oh. And is itself set on fire? That's the, what version are you quoting? Uh, ESV. ESV, all right. Give me just a minute. Anybody on the ESV? Set on fire by hell. And set on fire by hell. Um, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Can a... Fig tree? Can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs. I'm sorry. I'm That's okay. Nervous. Neither can a salt pond. Neither can can a salt pond yield fresh water. Can else <laughs> you did great. You did wonderful. All right. Wonderful. Give her a hand, everybody. All right. So she started with verse 1 and went all the way to verse 12. Does anybody know verse 13 through 18? before we move on. All right. Well, I tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to dig into verses 13 through 18 this morning as we study our passage uh, this morning. That, listen, that is so very difficult to do that in front of everybody. You can know it. You can have it. You can memorize it. You can say it over and over again. But when you get up here in front of this group and see these people looking at you, uh, it is very nerve-wracking. So she did a Caroline did a fantastic job. Y'all let her know that when you see her, okay? All right, so we're just going to look today at true wisdom, all right? Then we're going to do, this is going to be a little bit different than my typical outline this morning. Um, we're going to start with some things that aren't in your notes, because I think it's important, the way this passage is set up especially, verse 17 is so very important. Not that the rest of it isn't, but it's verse 17, there is so much in there. So what I want to do is we're going to look at verses 13 through 16, and then we're really going to camp out for a few minutes on verse 17. But I think it's important to talk about verses 13 through 16 because this, they, those verses really give us the characteristics of true wisdom. And that's what I want to look at this morning, all right? Characteristics of true wisdom. And we'll, we'll just go verse by verse through this, all right? Uh, verse number 13 talks about how wisdom is a lifestyle. Wisdom is something that we live out from day to day. Look at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. 
who among you is wise and understanding, James says. Uh, some of the people that James is writing to, go back uh, to verse 1. Uh, I'm glad that, that Caroline started there because Caroline started there because um, he's talking, it gives us context, okay? It gives us context of who he's talking to. He's talking to people who wanted to teach, wanted leadership positions in the church, but were not displaying true wisdom. They thought they were wise, and they thought they had special insight and understanding that others didn't have. And he's telling them, what James is telling them is step forward and we're going to analyze your wisdom. We're going to analyze whether or not you truly do have wisdom. And this analysis, by the way, is based not on what they know, the doctrine, the theology. They may know all of those things. This analysis is based on how they're actually living out their lives from day to day and whether or not their lives are backing up what they say they know and believe. And so he's saying step forward. Uh, If you're wise, step forward. Uh, gentleness, humility. So they're, they're judged based on if they are truly wise, they will show it by their conduct, their works that we see in verse 13 that are gentle and truly come from wisdom. That's what James is telling them. So they're saying they know this stuff, but how are you treating people? Are you treating people with gentleness? Is your conduct, is it, is it showing that you are a child of God? Gentleness, humility that comes from wisdom. It's our acts of obedience to God from day to day to day that show whether or not we're truly wise. Do we obey God? Are we living out his principles, his instructions for our lives? True wisdom produces good works, and true wisdom produces humility. Don't skip over that word gentleness. It's also translated humility in some translations. So don't skip over that, all right? That's important because true, these folks were boasting about their wisdom and saying, hey, I should be in leadership. I'm the ones that should be teaching because I have true wisdom. They were not displaying this very important characteristic of humility. And this idea of wisdom that's shown in in life, wisdom that's tested by one's actions, is nothing new. James is not recreating something here or or creating something here for the first time. This is very much Old Testament. This is is something that we see in the Old Testament. Wisdom, we know from Proverbs 1-7, begins with the fear of God. It enables us to discern what's right and what's just, Proverbs 2-9, and then leads us to walk in ways of good men and keep the paths of righteousness. That's living out what you believe. Wisdom, true wisdom, is shown in one's life. So James says, step forward. If you're wise, let's test that. Next, he shows us that true wisdom is from above, but false wisdom comes from below. Verses 14 through 15. If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's not from above, it is from below. It is earthly. Who is the God of this world right now? Satan. It is earthly. He's running free right now. He's running rampant. It is unspiritual. The wisdom that boasts and has jealous envy and selfish ambition is not the wisdom from above, James is saying. 
Bitter envy, selfish ambition, these are contrary to gentleness and humility, right? That he's already established as such a very important quality of true wisdom. If humility marks a wise person, then these qualities, you know, bitter envy, selfish ambition, these qualities actually exclude a person from being wise, he's telling us. Envy, that's talking about a, a self-oriented desire and it's, you know, basis understanding. But even here, when you take that word alone and isolate it and translate it, it's, it's just talking about having a desire to have something someone else has. Now, selfish ambition, of course, is promoting oneself. It is, you know, ambition in and of itself is not a bad thing, but this is, this is trying to promote oneself above someone else. I'm better than you. I should be doing this and the envy when you take all of it put it together remember go back to verse one what's going on here people are wanting positions in the church that they should not have and they think hey I'm wise you're not I should be teaching you should not be and so it's wanting something somebody else has these people want the positions that other people have and and within this the language here there's this idea that the jealousy comes from the fact that you You've got a following, and I want that following, all right? You, you put it all together, and you see what's going on in this church. James is addressing this issue, and he's saying, you think you're wise. I know that. You've got knowledge. No one's denying that, but you're not living in a way that would, would put you in a position to where you should be in the, one of these leadership positions in the church. All of this is wrapped up in that. These individuals were boasting. They were bragging about their wisdom. But they, they, and they this, this little section in verse 13, don't boast and deny the truth. It's a little bit confusing. But, but really what that means is that they are boasting. They are bragging about their wisdom. And in doing so and saying this is true wisdom, what I have, they are denying the truth of what wisdom really is. And so they don't understand. They think they do, but they don't. And here, bottom line, wisdom, when you put boasting, selfish ambition, envy, all of that, that's what they're showing. They're bad-mouthing people that are in authority. When you put it all together, bottom line, wisdom must always be accompanied by humility. Plain and simple. The knowledge that I have, I I'm, I'm humble about it, and I just simply live it out from day to day. And yes, I may be a teacher. I may be teaching it. But even in that, I'm teaching it with humility. I don't have all of this figured out. There are mistakes that I make every day. I am just as flawed as anybody else, yet God calls me to stand before you every Sunday and teach the truth. And if I don't have a certain amount of humility with that, I'm going to fall flat on my face. And it's even even if I'm successful in doing it every Sunday, if I am not truly wise that's accompanied with humility, it's going to be evident in my life. I mean, eventually the truth will come out the same as what's involved with the tongue. What's in the heart will come out. That's, that's true in my life. What's inside will eventually come out. Verse 15, James tells us that this type of wisdom is not from heaven. True wisdom does not come, or at least it doesn't only come from intellectual effort or study. Yes, that's involved, but true wisdom, true wisdom is a gift of God. 
Proverbs 2, 6, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. The type of wisdom that people who are selfish, divisive, the type of wisdom they have is unspiritual, James says. It's earthly. It's of the devil. False wisdom, which does not lead to good works and gentleness, is characterized by the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is direct, the direct opposite of this wisdom that comes from above that we will talk about in just a few minutes. It is spiritual in essence and is a gift of God. It has a divine origin. True wisdom does. The next characteristic James gives us in verse 16, true wisdom promotes unity because a lack of wisdom we see here causes conflict. It causes division. In the body of Christ. Verse 16, for where there's envy and selfish ambition, there's every kind of evil practice. It's division, it's conflict, it's it's God's people at war with one another. And we see in chapter 4, that's what's going on in the church that James is writing to. And listen, this is a loving church, this is a united church, this is a supportive church, but we always have to guard against division. Satan would love nothing more than to cause division within not just this body, but anybody, anybody of Christ, all right? And, and, it, and, and it's almost shocking sometimes the things that can cause that division, where it begins. Here we have a clear message of what's happening. There's envy, there's jealousy, there's pride. There are people that think they should be having leadership positions, and in reality they shouldn't, James is saying, and it's causing division. They are intentionally causing division in the church. When this exists, people hold attitudes like envy and selfishness and so on and so forth, and the result is evil, every evil practice, James says. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.13 on the screen. Since God is not a God of disorder, he is a God of peace. And all, as in all the churches of the saints. God is a God of peace. There should be peace in the church. There should be peace in the body of Christ. Not that we always get along. Not that there's not conflict. There's conflict. There's going to be conflict. But overall, we work through that in the love and the spirit of grace. Because we've all sinned. We've been shown grace. We should show grace. And and overall, there should be peace in the body of Christ. But this type of disorder that James is talking about will break out in any church where people are pursuing their own selfish concerns and causes rather than the good of the body of Christ to the glory of Christ. So it's very important then. We, we see what's going on here. It's vital. See if you agree with this. It's vital that we understand what true wisdom is as James defines it. It is so very vital. If you, if you don't agree with that, hopefully you will in just a few minutes because we're going to look at what wisdom is. And I love this perspective because what James is dealing with in the context here is how people are relating to each other, right? I mean, they, he's talking about folks in leadership and folks who think that those people shouldn't be in leadership and that they should. And so he's talking about true wisdom and how that wisdom is shown in my relationship to other people. So we're going to answer the question, hopefully this morning, how do I relate wisely to others? Because this is all in the context of relationship. In doing so, we will define true wisdom, but we will see what that looks like as it's related to other people. Let's look at verse 17, okay? We're going to spend the next few moments in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then gentle, 
compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. It is, first of all, pure, James says. So what's he saying here? True wisdom is, first of all, pure. These are character qualities of wisdom, and that that first one is important. All right, because it is from purity that all of the other qualities, you know, being peace loving, being gentle, being courteous, you know, being full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. It is from that purity that those other things flow. If you don't have the purity, then you don't have the rest. And so what's the first characteristic here of someone who knows how to relate wisely to others? Well, the first is that if I'm wise, I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I won't compromise my integrity. I'm not perfect. You know, I'm going to mess up. But overall, my life is going to be one of consistency and integrity and how I deal with others and how I live my life. Wisdom is first of all pure, James says. Former Senator Alan Simpson said, if you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. But if you have integrity, nothing else matters. And integrity is everything. If you don't have it, then it's not going to matter what you do because nobody's going to trust you. Nobody's going to believe you. But if you have it, then really nothing else matters because what is all is wrapped up in integrity, especially from a biblical perspective. What God says is important. Proverbs 10.9 says, The one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his ways will be found out. You know, what we're really talking about when we say purity, wisdom is first of all pure, what James is really talking about is holiness. Right? I mean, he's talking about a holiness, a purity that can only come. It's not something we achieve. It is given to us, the righteousness, the holiness given to us by God. Because the reality is God is holy, therefore the wisdom from above is pure. It comes from him. It's his holiness. It's his righteousness imputed to us. He makes us holy. He makes us righteous. And if we are his, then that holiness will be seen in our lives. Pure in verse 17 means free from defilement. It's innocence. It's moral blamelessness. God's wisdom leads to a purity of life. It leads to integrity. Man's wisdom, on the other hand, will can, not always, but can lead to sin. God's wisdom will not lead to sin because God is holy. He is pure. And these qualities, as I said, so that's the first, the ones that follow, flow from that purity. You can't have the rest without purity. The second characteristic of how to relate, or the answer, the qualification, rather, of how to relate wisely to others. The second is this, if I'm wise, I will not antagonize your anger. None of us have ever done that to somebody else, right? I mean, I'm sure I've never made Mandy mad, right? Yeah. Nobody's ever made you angry, right? We've all failed. Listen, we're, gonna go, we're going through this list, and you're going to identify one, two, maybe all of them. I don't know, but there's going to be a couple of things that you struggle with. Uh, I've already done that. I've already struggled greatly, so it's going to seem like I've got this all figured out as I'm delivering it. But I've already struggled through this text, and God's already convicting me of things that I need to work on, okay? Because none of us are perfect in this. But if I'm wise, if I'm truly wise, if I relate to others in wisdom, it's going to be with peace. It's going to be uh, without provoking anger. Wisdom is first of all pure, but then it is peace-loving. God is a God of peace, and we should love and pursue peace. You look at verse 18, which I'm jumping ahead, but verse 18, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who what? 
They cultivate peace. The idea of the work of farming and cultivating. We love peace so much, we should, that we're willing to do whatever it takes to keep peace among God's people, with, with God's people. Now, that's not always possible, okay? Sometimes you pursue peace, and it takes two, right? You can't always achieve peace, but that should be the desire of our hearts, and we should do whatever, uh, whatever we can to try to maintain and achieve peace. Man's wisdom leads to competition, rivalry, war, but God's wisdom leads to peace. And this is exactly what the community of believers that James is writing to needs to hear because they don't have peace right now. This peace is based on holiness. It's based on the purity that we just talked about, not on compromise. It's not a peace at any price. I'm not willing to compromise to maintain peace. I'm not going to compromise God's word. That's not what James is saying. It's not, hey, I'll do whatever it takes to keep the peace, even if it means ignoring whatever's going on over here. That's not what he's talking about. It is peace based on purity and integrity. If we are pure, though, and if we are devoted to God, all of us, each individually, then there will be peace among God's people. That's the result. Proverbs 20, verse 3, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. In Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger and great in understanding, but he who is great, has great understanding rather, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. I mean, peace and an ability to control anger is a mark of purity, and it is a mark of a follower of Christ. Next qualification. If I'm wise, I won't minimize your feelings. I won't minimize your feelings. James says wisdom is gentle. I believe the NIV says considerate. The Living Bible says cur- courteous. That you get the idea. That's how I treat others. How do I do? I treat others with gentleness. Am I cur- courteous? Am I considerate? Do I think about other people, or do I only think about myself? That's the question. Gentleness. It's what Matthew, I love this. It's what Matthew Arnold called a sweet reasonableness. I love that. I just like how it sounds for one thing. I like saying it, sweet reasonableness. But it just sounds inviting, doesn't it? it, it I don't know, it sounds, it sounds attractive. And, and that's, that's the idea here is that the way I treat other people should, should attract others to me. I mean, we crave grace, don't we? We don't think about it, maybe, but we crave grace. And we know what grace is if we've experienced salvation. We know what that feels like to be set free from sin and to not deserve it or earn it in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And why we would ever withhold grace from others is beyond me. And I've been guilty of not doing that, certainly, at times. But I love grace because of of the beauty because of the fact that it's not earned. It is completely a gift. And whenever we can do that, whenever we can show that to somebody else, it's going to attract them to Jesus. The gentle person doesn't deliberately cause fights, but he doesn't compromise the truth in order to keep peace. Now, I mean, you know, but, but my approach is gentleness. It's peace-loving. It's grace. Carl Sandburg, you know, I love Abraham Lincoln, and Carl Sandburg one once described him as a man of velvet steel. He was courteous, he was gracious, but he was also strong in his convictions and his leadership. And he wasn't afraid to make a decision, even if it wasn't popular. 
And he was, he was strong. It does, you know, this isn't talking about weakness. Gentleness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness is involved here. Meekness is not weakness. It's power that's under control. It's under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's the idea here. You know, there's a study that was done not too long ago about why we're rude on Facebook. It was a while back, and obviously the study didn't help solve the problem because it's still going on. But it talks about the idea, and I'm just going to kind of summarize it here. It talks about the idea that the reason we're so rude on Facebook is because we are under this illusion that since we're just typing on a a machine, either in a smartphone or a tablet or on the computer, that since we're just inputting information into this device, we think we have anonymity, anonymity, easy for me to say. But what's the problem with that? We, we believe that, you know, we're hiding behind this thing, but what's the reality? On Facebook especially, your name is plastered right there for everybody to see. And, and here's an interesting thing that they found. Several professors at, you know, several schools that I've forgotten but are in that article, um, they did this study and they realized that it's worse, and this was shocking to me, it's worse, being rude on Facebook is worse when it involves someone who really just has their close friends as friends. So they're the most rude to the people that they actually know. Things that they wouldn't do in person, they're doing on Facebook because they think that there's some sort of anonymity behind it. That, they, that, that people want, we're under this illusion We're hiding behind these devices. And what they say, Sherry Turkle is one of the psychologists and a professor. She said, we're less inhibited online because we don't have to see the reaction of the other person. And that's the bottom line. We do it to people we love. We say rude things. We get mad. We do it online. Things that I would not say to your face. And the reason I'm doing it online is because I don't have to see your reaction. And I don't see how bad it hurts. We think we, just because we can't see the person, that what we say won't hurt them. But we have found that that is far from the truth. So what if you say, I hate you on this tiny little thing? It's like a toy, they say. It doesn't feel consequential, but all the consequences are great. Words hurt. We talked about that last week. Words are painful. And when you put something out there, especially on the Internet, you're not going to get it back. It's there. You can delete the post, but somebody can still recover it. Somebody still saw it. The pain is there, but James says true wisdom is gentle. It's considerate. I think about your feelings. Matter of fact, if I'm a believer, I put your feelings above my own. It's courteous. It's kind. True wisdom. Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Let's keep going. If I'm wise, I won't criticize your suggestions. Wisdom is compliant. Open to reason, the RSV says. It allows for discussion, the Living Bible says. It's literally easily persuaded. Now, James here, he's not talking about weakness or gullibility. He's talking about a willing deference to others when it doesn't require compromise. Again, we're not compromising uh, theology. We're not compromising the Word of God. But it's a willingness to defer to you when it doesn't compromise Integrity, when it doesn't compromise God's word, spiritual truth. True wisdom makes a person agreeable and easy to live with and work with. But man's wisdom makes a person hard and stubborn. The compliant person, James is saying, is willing to hear all sides of a question but doesn't compromise his own convictions. 
A truly wise person can disagree without being disagreeable. There's a difference, right? Disagreeable is one thing, but being able to disagree with love and respect and grace and mercy is different. That's what James is talking about. He's quick to hear, he's slow to speak, and he's slow to anger, going back to James 1.19. One time, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln, again, I mean, he was, one of the reasons I respect him is he, he was able to surround himself with people that didn't really like him, but he did it because they were the best for the job, and, and the circumstances were unique because of the threat of civil war that actually, you know, happened, Right? And, you know, one of the people that did not care for him at all, but he brought in uh, to, uh, to, to serve in his administration was Edwin Stanton, who was Secretary of War. And, and one time, Lincoln allowed a politician to persuade him to transfer some troops. And Edwin Stanton's response was, this isn't respectful, he's not practicing wisdom, but his response was, well, Abraham Lincoln's a fool. But, you know, Abraham Lincoln's response to that was interesting. And I think it shows a glimpse of his character. He said, if Edwin Stanton thinks I'm a fool, then I must be because he usually knows more about these things than I do. That's why he was Secretary of War. So Lincoln, instead of getting mad and getting dug in and getting defensive, he actually looked at the situation. He had a discussion about it. And turns out Stanton was right. And they didn't do what, what Lincoln was wanting to do. But it would have been very easy for him just to say, you know what, you work for me, I don't work for you, forget that. But he showed humility, he showed grace. A teachable, open spirit is often a major key in diffusing conflict. A lot of folks think stubbornness is a conviction and they have to have their own way. But when God is at work, there's a willingness to listen, think, Pray and obey whatever God reveals. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. The fifth qualification. If I'm wise, I won't emphasize your mistakes. Wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. And those may seem like they shouldn't be together, but they should. Full of mercy. Mercy, purity, creates that mercy is part of what fuels good, good work, fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, to be full, it says full of mercy. Somebody may have told you you're full of it, but that's not what this, the negative connotation is not what we're talking about here. I mean, it could be, because the whole idea of being full of something, that, that means that you're simply controlled by it. That whatever you're full of, that's what controls you. It's the, it's the principle we've already talked about. What's inside is going to come out. So whatever I fill my life with is going to dictate how I live, right? And so if I'm full of mercy, what is that going to produce? It's going to produce mercy. It's going to affect how I treat other people. It's going to, it's going to affect the actions that I take every day. You know, decisions that I make to do or not do something. To say or not say something, connecting it with the context of the first 12 verses. Um, To be full of something means to be controlled by. So a person who follows God's wisdom is controlled by mercy. Jesus said, be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful in Luke 6.36. So here's, here's a good way to judge how much mercy to show to other people. I should show just as much mercy to other people as God has shown me. And, you know, we're imperfect, again, (laughs) 
And we don't always get this right, but that should be our goal. That should be our driving force. The mercy that I've received, I should be willing to show as much mercy to someone else. Proverbs 17, 9, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Jesus often highlighted mercy as a key indicator of a godly person. And James, he even gives us his own definition of mercy. Mercy is love for your neighbor that shows itself in action. James is all about action, right? And so his, his definition of mercy is absolutely going to include action, showing it. Not just saying I'm merciful, but showing, giving mercy to other people. It's no surprise when James then couples mercy with good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things flow from a merciful heart, flow from a pure heart. And so absolutely, James is going to reference the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit of God produces in my life to mercy, because if I'm full of mercy, if I'm controlled by mercy, if I'm driven by godly wisdom, then fruit is going to be evident in my life. The acts of mercy are those fruits. Hear this. this I, I love this. It's not my own, but I love it. Um, the acts of mercy are those fruits that genuine wisdom, like genuine faith, the fruit of the Spirit, faith produces the fruit of the Spirit, like those, those, those acts that genuine wisdom, like faith, produce. I mean, that's wisdom. The fruit of the Spirit lived out is the result of true wisdom. James is putting all of this together for us. And then he gives us the next qualification. If I'm wise, I won't disguise my weaknesses. Wisdom is unwavering, and it is without pretense. Not putting on airs. Not pretending to be something that I'm not. But isn't it interesting, unwavering, connected without pretense? I mean, it it fits, If I'm unwavering, if I'm completely and totally sold out, committed, devoted to Jesus Christ in all that I do, I'm unwilling to compromise. I'm showing grace, mercy, all of those things, right? I'm doing it in love. I mean, there is certain, there is sweet reasonableness about me. But I'm committed. I'm not going to, you know, go back to chapter 1. Being double-minded, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, so I'm not double-minded, I'm, I'm consistent, I'm committed, I, I'm sold out to Christ. And, and when, when I am that way, when the authenticity of Christ is lived through me, then I will be without pretense. I won't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. Yeah, I'm going to be who I am, even with all of my flaws, because I am who I am, because Christ made me who I am and is in the process of making me who he wants me to be. But I'm consistent. Those things, it's not, you know, just bragging about all my insecurities and weaknesses, you know, just to get attention. But it is an honesty about who I am without pretense, unwavering. The Greek literally means straightforward and without hypocrisy. You know, connect it, again, we connect it with chapter 1, being double-minded man. The person with wisdom, the man or woman with wisdom from heaven will be stable, they will be trustworthy, and they will be transparent. 
If I'm wise, I will first have an unwavering devotion to God. I will be impartial in my dealings with others, sincere, honest, trustworthy. In addition, I'm going to be transparent, humble, and open about my own weaknesses. I'm not going to pretend to be something that I'm not. Several years ago on The Tonight Show, Jesse Ventura, in 2000, Jesse Ventura appeared on The Tonight Show. Y'all remember? It's been a while. Do we know who Jesse Ventura is? He was, what was his first profession? He was a professional wrestler who became what? Governor of Minnesota. At this time, he's governor of Minnesota. And he's on the Tonight Show, and here's what he says. He's talking about religion, and he says this. This is when Jay Leno was the host. He said that organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. And Jay Leno, he can deliver a line. He comes right back with, wow, man, isn't it good that professional wrestling isn't that way? Now, if you're a fan of wrestling, I'm sorry, okay? I never got into it, but, you know, you're not evil if you like wrestling. But, and if I just destroyed your world, I apologize, but it's not real, okay? <laughs> all right? I hate to admit that if, if, you know, all right? So, but, but true wisdom, and that's comical, obviously, but it, it, it kind of highlights the reality that it is much easier to criticize other people than it is to be honest about my own weaknesses. Uh, some, for some to even be aware of their own weaknesses. But Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. That's the result of confession. If I confess my sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. It's mercy. That's mercy. Because I don't deserve it. I'm not getting the punishment that I do deserve. Grace and mercy. It means I'm this, this all together, you know, unwavering without pretense. means I'm straightforward, honest about my weaknesses. I'm sincere in my faith. And I'm without hypocrisy. And here's the truth. When man's wisdom, we're comparing the two types of wisdom being claimed here. When man's wisdom is at work, there may be insecurity and pretense. But when God's wisdom is at work, there is openness and honesty. Colossians 2, 3 says, In Christ lie all the the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Unity is a must for Christians. But when we treat others with respect and mercy, we are showing wisdom. The Bible teaches us that we are wise if we do that, if we treat others with respect, with mercy, with all of these characteristics, then we are, are, are acting like Christ, and we are wise. We are showing our wisdom, but we are foolish if we don't. The choice is ours, but, you know, we have to remember that we're talking about the bride of Christ here and how we treat the bride of Christ. And, and wisdom, you know, it, it's, it's certainly shown in righteousness and all of those characteristics, you know, uh, pure, peace-loving, gentle, considerate, um, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. Those are all characteristics of wisdom. But guess what? When I'm showing those characteristics, something interesting happens. And uh, Andy and Eli helped me with this last night, and I want to take a minute. I've got me a little balloon with a smiley face. That'll make sense in a moment, okay? All right, it's going to take me just a second here, okay? There's no helium, but it could roll away. Andy, I may need your help. Can you come here? Just come hold my balloon. My lovely, oh, it matches your dress, too. I did not plan that. All right, so you just hang, just hold it. Hold it right there, okay? You can hold that, too. Just stand there and, yeah, good job. All right. 
So I'm going to make a little mess. Okay, I'll clean it up. But we did, we've spent probably about nearly an hour or 45 minutes. Uh, Annie and Eli made some confetti for me, okay? And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to pour this out. Try not to get it on the ground, all right? So here, here's the deal. When we are wise, here we go, and we are showing, if we are full of wisdom, if we are full of the Holy Spirit, then we are happy, <laughs> all right? And happiness in biblical terms, all right? Contentment, satisfaction, not always the emotion of happiness, but this describes our lives, all right? And so what happens is, you can go sit down now, baby, thank you, um, what happens is, is when we're showing these characteristics, peace-loving, considerate, gentle, courteous, all of those things, then it's like a charge of energy in our lives. And I'm not going to rub this on my hair because I will look funny, but I'm going to use this, all right? And so we are, we are just saturating ourselves with the wisdom of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And what happens when we get around other people is something fascinating happens. They see that in our lives. They know within the church and outside the church, they know something is different. They want what we have, and we attract people. This is not working like I want it to. Let me get some more static electricity here. Maybe I do need to rub it on my hair. All right, let's try it again. Here we go. There we go. Something amazing happens. We attract people to our lives. And that is how we build relationships within the body of Christ. We show wisdom. We show mercy. We show gentleness. We show courteousness. We are who we are without pretense. We love others the same way Christ loved us. And, yeah, some... Some people are going to stick to you forever. Some won't. But in the end, it brings unity within the body of Christ. And there's an old illustration that works so well to, to show what's needed for wisdom. What's needed or what's needed for unity. What's needed for unity, the reason this person, where's my smiley face, is so happy is because in his life, he is focused on Jesus Christ. He is focused on loving him, pleasing him, serving him, growing closer to him. And this person is discipling others, and these people end up loving Christ and focusing on Christ and serving Christ and pleasing Christ. And what happens, it's like that tuning fork. If you want to tune several pianos, you don't try to tune them to each other. You tune it to the tuning fork, the standard. And if we are all in tune to Jesus Christ, then we will be in tune to one another. That's the key. And that's what produces the type of wisdom that James is talking about here. That's what we want to display, and we're going to end with verse 18 to show the result of all of this. James tells us, appropriately so, you want to, you want to know what the payoff to this is? The fruit of righteousness is peace, and it's sown by those who cultivate peace. You know, God gives us peace it's a gift. We experience it when we receive him. But then there's work involved in maintaining peace. Don't, don't skip over the last part of that verse. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. There's work. I've got to work at it. We have to work at relationships. 
When we mess up, we got to try to mend the fence. When we, when we make a mistake, we got to own up to it. We don't take for granted the people in our lives. We show them that we love them. We tell them, but like James' action, we show them as well. Are we willing to cultivate peace? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us mercy and grace and peace, for loving us as you do, for giving us life. And we know that we should show all of these characteristics as much as you've shown them to us, we should be willing to show to others. We know that's not possible without you in our lives. We have to be willing to accept you and the salvation that only you provide. We can't display these characteristics of wisdom. We can't have true wisdom if we don't know you personally. And if there's somebody in here who's never accepted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would come during this time of commitment and allow me to show them how to do that. For those of us who are yours, just speak to us and show us the areas where we struggle in this. There are some, uh, we all identify with one or more of these areas that we've struggled with and continue to struggle with. None of us are perfect. We know we'll never be perfect in this life, but we want to be like you. We want to show your wisdom, your love, your mercy, your consideration, your grace, all of these things to the world around us, and certainly to each other. We desire that you build up this body, that you make us more like you, that you unite us in our love for you and our passion for you and our devotion to you. And whatever we need to do to make sure that we're doing our part in that, just convict us now, show us now, and may we respond in obedience. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand for our time of commitment, please.